Oh God, we can't think of anywhere in the world we'd rather be right now than here in your presence, singing songs that acknowledge your worth, giving you your worship, your worship, and at the same time taking upon ourselves the, the amazing joy of knowing what it means to be counted worthy by your grace alone. You are the father to the fatherless. You are the helper of the widow. You put the lonely in families. And daily you bear our burdens. How could we not love you? Because you are altogether lovely. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to be with you this morning. How many egomaniacs does it take to change a light bulb? I ask this question purposefully. The answer is one. All he has to do is hold it and wait for the world to revolve around him. And I say that because uh, not long ago I was ready to go to work and Melanie said, I need you to change a light bulb. And I said, yeah, I'm, I've got sermons to write and hospitals to visit and things to do. And she said, okay. And I said, okay, I'll change the light bulb. And uh, these conversations probably never happen at your house. But I went up there. I thought, how hard can it be to change a light bulb in the dark? And uh, I uh, un- unclipped the bulb and I started. And sure enough, I broke the bulb, which had nothing to do with my state of mind, I just want to say. But the bulb broke off in my hand and then I realized I was in for it and I began to search for the needle nose pliers which were conveniently placed in the third drawer at the very back underneath the stuff in Chase's room. He had used them some years ago and thought that that would be a good place to keep them. And I came back and turned off the light switch and realized it was a double switch which means that it may be off or it may be on. This complicated matters, and I went out in the heat of the garage, muttering and grumbling as I went and turned off the power to that um, and to the whole house, uh, which the family really appreciated. But then misery loves company, doesn't it? And so I cut my finger and um, eventually drenched in sweat, and, um, and with a Band-Aid on my finger, I grumbled as I walked out the door, made it almost to my car, and turned around and went back inside and apologized to all the people to whom I had been unkind. And I was just reminded that we can be, we, at least I can be, awfully self-centered and narcissistic. If I'm not careful, it will will become uh, an issue in my life, mainly because it supplants the place of God in our lives. If the world is centered in us, then it's certainly not centered in God for us as it should be. I think about that uh, new patient who went to the psychiatrist and said, uh, can you help me? And the psychiatrist said, okay, well, just lie down there and, and just tell me your story. I don't know your story, so just start from the beginning. He said, okay, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. He said, okay, we've got big problems. One woman, uh, you know, walked away from her husband. She said, we had religious problems. He thought he was God, and I didn't think that, and that was our religious problem. We can be caught up in our own world. And the Apostle Paul definitely was until he was stricken by that dazzling light on the road to Damascus. His world, even though he claimed to be religious, his world was all about Paul. 
And God transformed him. And as he describes that, he shows us that life cannot be about getting glory for ourselves because it is all about giving glory to God. And if you ask me, why should we give glory to God? Well, I'd like to take the next three weeks and just just sort of zero in on who God is because I'm convinced if we knew him as he is, we would have no difficulty centering our world in him and giving him glory. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Ephesians chapter 1, we read verses 1 and 2 last week, verses 3 through 6 together today. I want you to covenant with me. We'll be looking at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in three consecutive weeks here. I want you to covenant with me to read uh, verses uh, 1 to 14 every day for the next 14 days. Will you do that with me? Who will do that? If you just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. And the rest of you will come around to it, I'm sure. Let me just read to you from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Thank you. You may be seated. If you wrote a sentence with 201 words without any punctuation, your English teacher would not like that, but the Apostle Paul did precisely that. This is verses 3 to 14 are the longest verse, the longest sentence in all of the Bible. It's as if Paul started writing about the glory of God's grace and he couldn't stop. He couldn't even come up for air. He couldn't stop to breathe. He had to talk about who God the Father was and God the Son is and God the Holy Spirit is. And he punctuates each stanza of this hymn with this beautiful refrain to the praise of his glorious grace. What Paul is saying is what we need to know. If you and I ever for one second got a glimpse of the greatness of the grace of God, we would surely give him all the glory to the praise of his glorious grace. What happened to the Apostle Paul? Grace happened to the Apostle Paul. And when grace happened to him, he saw the glory of God and he began to live his life for God's glory alone. And for these three weeks, I want us to paint a sort of collective portrait of God's grace. And we'll start with the Father this morning and just notice a couple of things about the Father. First is that by His grace, He chose us to be His people, to become holy and blameless in His sight. God chose us. We need to start right there because sometimes I think we think we chose God. And I'm not arguing with that. I'm not quibbling with the point that at some point you and I have to find ourselves in Christ and not just, as my son says, associate with Him, but identify with Him. It's true that that needs to happen. But before the world began, 
God chose us in Christ so that we could choose him. Salvation is all about God. It begins with God. It ends with God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And it was God who initiated salvation. It was God who chose us. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. And it's a beautiful thought to to come to terms with the reality that God has chosen us in Jesus Christ. And to be chosen is in itself a great gift and a great grace from the Heavenly Father. And we give Him glory for that. It's as Anne Lamott said, you, you start out mired in the mud and somebody picks you up and places you somewhere that you don't deserve to be and you could never have done it for yourself that is the grace of God if you want to understand uh, his choosing us and our choosing him Charles Haddon Spurgeon said someday when we get to the gate of heaven it would be like as we got to the gate over the top of the gate were written these words whosoever will let him let her come Whosoever will, let him come. But when you get inside and you look back, written over that same gate will be these words, chosen before the creation of the world. How did God choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? You know what else happened before the foundation of the world? Remember Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Who was it? Jesus who was slain. When? Before the foundation of the world. Of the world, before God founded the world, before He created it, He chose us in Him. And the good news is when we think about who chose us, then we think about how He chose us, and He says, He chose us in Christ. In verse 3, blessed be God, that's the ESV. Blessed be God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In Christ. He chose us, verse 4, in Christ him as if anything happened that wasn't in him Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 verse 28 in him we live and we move and we have our being all things happen in him we are chosen in him it's as if God said everybody who is in Christ I choose to be my children. Don't be thrown by that. It's, it's as if he's saying, you've got to be in Christ. And when God calls the roll up yonder, those who are in Christ will be there in him. I saw it when we were out at Paisano together. They have a wonderful tradition. Homemade ice cream. Is anything better on a hot day? Homemade ice cream. Last year they had 19 different flavors. So you can imagine, I had it on my calendar on Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. I, I uh, made an appointment uh, in town in Alpine, made it back in time for 3 o'clock, and wouldn't you know it, it got rained out. So they said, well, Thursday afternoon. And sure enough, Thursday in Alpine, Texas, it rained again, and we were rained out. They said, don't worry, after church tonight in the food shed, Everybody who comes to the food shed will get homemade ice cream. Problem, Casey and I had a plane to catch early the next morning, 10 o'clock at night. We were going to drive to Midland from Alpine, three hours, get there at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking Midland or ice cream, Midland or ice cream. And it, it wasn't really a hard choice until I saw the 900 people in line in front of me after I shook hands with all the people and thanked them for the week. And 900, you know, preachers ought to be able to go first or something. I don't know. That, well, that's that whole self-centeredness, isn't it? Well, anyway, so Casey and I stood in line and we ate. Oh, did we eat. And lo, it was good unto the ends of the earth. And by the way, Paisano was not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there if you look in the distance. And we got in the car late at night and I thought, how in the world am I 
going to stay awake for three hours on the way to Midland. She was watching a movie and I was driving down the road, not watching the movie and listening. And she said, and I said, turn it up. And she thought she had misheard me. She said, you want me to turn it up? I said, please, something needs to keep me awake. And we made it to Midland that night, but I was just reminded everybody who made it into the food shed got the homemade ice cream. But the people who didn't choose to go there, they didn't hand deliver it to the preacher as he got in his car. I had to get in the food shed. And you have to be in Christ to experience relationship with God. He is the only way of salvation. And notice that he chose us in him. And I just want you to notice when he did it. Before the creation of the world. That means it doesn't have anything to do with you and me. That means we didn't earn it. As Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he said, there were not many of you who were wise when you were called. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were impressive as the world is impressed with things. He said, God has chosen the weak things to shame those things which are strong. He has chosen the things which are not to shame the things that are so that no flesh may boast before God. And in Romans chapter 5, um, the apostle Paul said when we were ungodly when we were powerless to save ourselves when we were ekthros enemies of God haters of God while we were still sinners it was then that Christ died for us chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that is it goes way back for God God started way way back in history choosing us as his people so that we might belong to him do you know what it's like to be chosen We have to know what it's like not to be chosen, to appreciate being chosen. Maybe you applied for a job, or maybe you entered into a relationship in good faith and discovered the other person did not choose you. Or maybe it was for you like it was for me and like it was for Garrison Keillor, the sandlot being chosen or not chosen to play baseball on a given day. Keeler has a marvelous story about that where he tells about how they pick. Isn't this the way it happened on your playground? On my playground, the best athletes, the two best athletes would say, we'll choose teams. And then they began to choose people. And they chose the very favorite people that they had, the very best athletes. And then they get down to the kid who's slow. He gets to be the catcher. And then the kid who can't do anything right goes to right field because nobody ever hits it to right field. And then they start going two by two. Have you noticed this? And they're like, okay, I'll take him and him and you take him and him. And I'll take him and him. And then you get down to the last people and they say, you know what, if I take him then you have to take him and then you get to the last ones and that's that's kind of where I was that's where Garrison Keeler was he said just once I wish Daryl the kid who always chose the teams would have looked at me first and said I choose him early and enthusiastically the skinny kid with the black glasses I choose him but he said it never it never happened that way what would it be like to be chosen early and enthusiastically will you tell me because the scriptures say you who are in Christ were chosen before the creation of the world God said I choose you early I choose you enthusiastically and why did he choose us for what reason so that we might be holy and blameless be careful not because we were holy and blameless let's not get into moralism here let's not say that we earn God's grace the apostle Paul was delivered from that kind of theology that said I have to earn God's grace no he didn't choose us because we were holy and blameless he chose us to be holy and blameless so you didn't think he chose us so that we could continue to live the same old way that we did before we became Christians. You didn't think that, did you? No, he chose us to be holy, set apart to him, blameless. That's a sacrificial word so that we might be, Romans 12, 1 and 2, living sacrifices before 
the Lord. This is what God has done for us. And so we ought to give thanks to God for choosing us. We ought to give thanks to those who remind us of our chosenness, Henry now, and said, boundless love, unending joy. This is my life. It's what I know. I can't believe that he selected me. Jesus, my Lord, it's you I owe before the foundation of the world. In grace, God chose us. And in love, do you see that there at the end of verse 4? In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children. That, that word predestination shouldn't throw us here. It shouldn't set us off because the word predestined, unlike the word election, which always refers to people, God chooses people. And by the way, nowhere in the scripture does it say that God chooses some people not to be saved. But, but when it talks about predestined, it talks about his purpose, that God's purpose will be fulfilled in the lives of believers. So he predestines us to be adopted into his family. In Romans chapter 8, he predestines us to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, from the father's point of view, the day you became a believer, the fact that you would grow up into Christ was a done deal. He was going to work that out. It was never going to be a matter of question. God would cause that to happen. That's what predestination is. We might think of that word, it might help us to think of it as the word destined. In fact, uh, Eugene Peterson was over on a trip and he saw this very same Greek word and it said proorismos Rome that is destination Rome it's a word that means to mark out the boundaries God has set the boundaries and once we are in Christ as I understand the scriptures we cannot be outside of Christ and if you're in Christ you're headed in a direction it's like a ship that leaves New York and it's on its way to Liverpool, England. And the people on the ship are doing whatever they want to do. They're eating big feasts like, like people do on those big cruises. They're having fun. They're walking around playing games. They're looking at the water. They're enjoying themselves. They've got all kinds of freedom on that boat. But that boat is going to end up in Liverpool because that's where the boat is going. And the, the ship of salvation is headed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. God is going to make us like himself. Now notice his motivation. In love, it says at the end of verse 4, in love he predestined us to be adopted. Don't you love the love of those who adopt? I have always loved that. Melanie and I are novices at this. We've got families in this church who've adopted four kids. You know, I mean, some you know, adopt them in bundles, but we, we just have one, and it's been such a, a wonderful experience, and we're still in the middle of that. Some of you ask me from time to time. We're, we're, well, we're, I hope we're near the end of that process, but you know, we're still getting, I had to get fingerprinted out in Alpine to make sure I wasn't an international terrorist. Turns out I'm not, which is a good thing, and uh, I didn't know for sure, and turns out I'm not. And, uh, you know, more recently they wanted us to measure the rooms of our house. This week, no kidding, Casey and I with a tape measure are measuring the, what, you know, what does that have to do with the price of beans in China? I do not know. But we are measuring the rooms of our house so that we can, there are all these things. We finish one list of things, they finish another. Well, they said she needed a psychological test. Casey does not like tests of any kind, but she did not like this one. And she kind of grumbled, and then when the day came, she was just kind of, she was really upset about it. And we said, what's wrong? She said, I'm afraid if I don't pass the test, they won't let you adopt me. And we say, oh, honey, <laughs> it's not that kind of test. You can't fail this test. No matter what happens, we're going to adopt you. This is just to help us understand who you are. And it turns out she is like we knew, just a great, wonderful, normal kid, you know. And we're so grateful. But just that fear. And I was just thinking about those people who adopt children and find out, that they have fetal alcoholism or that the mother used crack cocaine during the pregnancy and these kids as they grow up and I read about a church over um, in Birmingham, Alabama 
Uh, the pastor David Platt was telling this week about how they decided in their church that they would commit themselves to the foster care program, that they would take care of the children in their area, that they would love them and watch over them. And so they went to their equivalent of the CPS and said, how many families would you need to just sort of clear out the foster care system in this county? And they said, a bunch. And he said, well, just dream big. How many? And they said, 250 would be great. He went back to his church and said, we need 250 families to do this. And they've taken that upon themselves. And some of them had the experience we've had with Casey. It's just been like a dream come true. And some of them have had the experience of, as I mentioned earlier, kids with great challenges and difficulties. But the whole church has embraced that and loved those children and brought them in. And it's been a, a marvelous kind of ministry. And I was just thinking about how God, when he chose us, didn't say, well, I'm not going to take anybody with this problem or with that problem. But he loved us as we were. And he included us in his family. In love, he predestined us to what? To be adopted, to have the full rights of daughters and sons of God so that our old life no longer had any claim on us. That's the way the Roman system worked. If you were adopted, you actually had no longer any relationship to your old family. You completely belonged with all the rights of an heir of that new family. This is what God has done for us in Christ. Think about this. You are loved the way that Jesus Christ is loved. In God's family, you are honored the way that Jesus Christ is honored. That's grace. That's the kind of grace that makes us give glory to God. When we realize that in spite of our sin, God chose to love us and to forgive us. And we'll talk about that more next week when we talk about the Son. But God, the Father, purposed this and it gave him pleasure. It pleased him to bring sinful people like us into his family so that he could make us holy and blameless, so that we would be transformed, that we would become trophies of God's grace so that people would look at us and say, I remember who they used to be and they're not the same person anymore because they've been changed by the great grace of God the Father. And I, um, I remember Lee Strobel's story about an American serviceman who was in another country who became involved with a woman there and she conceived a child and He went back to the United States and forgot about her, but the child was born, and the child didn't look exactly like the other children, had lighter colored hair, curls, and she was rejected by the others in her culture, in her country, and her mother even finally gave up on her and abandoned her on the street when she was seven years old. She made it into an orphanage, and at the age of nine, the word came, an American family is coming to adopt a little boy today. And it was her job as the oldest to get the younger ones ready so that that one of them might be adopted. Remember the story, Annie, just that picture. And, And here, and here she was, and she got all these little boys ready, and she said it was like Goliath came back to life. This American man walked into the room, and tears started streaming down his face as he picked up each of those children one by one, and she said, I knew that if he could, he would have taken every child in that room he wanted them all and I watched him with just awe and wonder as he loved those children and then he made his way around to me and he put his giant hand on my face she said you have to imagine me at nine years old I didn't even weigh 30 pounds my body had worms my hair had lice I had boils I had scars there was nothing in me that would make anybody want me she said And I didn't understand his words, but in English he said, 
we take this one. We choose her to be our daughter. And she was raised in that family. Imagine the wonder of that. Imagine the love. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. And I remember when Melanie and I were picking Casey up and bringing her home for the weekend, you know, back uh, before they would let her move into our house. We had a couple months there, if you remember. And we would drive over to Austin every weekend. And there were seven girls in that little cottage. And I remember one day we got in the car after we said goodbye to Mom and Pop Toner. And I started the engine in the car, and I just looked up at the window. And there across that picture frame window were the faces of six girls pressed against that window wanting somebody to take them home. You know how that feels? To be lost in the cosmos, to feel like nobody but nobody would ever choose you. I bring you good news of great joy. God has chosen you and in the great adoption story of the ages, we are not the rescuers. We are the rescued. Let us give him great glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your amazing love. Uh, Forgive us for ceasing to be amazed at your amazing grace and love. And help us, I pray today, to receive your gift of salvation. You have chosen us, Lord. Lord, help us to receive that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.